Welcome back to the 4 Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Over the past week, things have heated up a little bit, finally, in the offseason. We took a little bit of a break over Christmas, which I guess is good for reporters and everyone, but things are heating back up on the hot stove. A little update on 4A baseball. Aiden, one of our co-hosts, he decided to take a little step back. We wish him our best in every avenue he pursues. Uh, and today, I'm joined by Stevs. Tom's out of town. He'll be back next week, but I'm kind of excited to get a little one-on-one chop it up with Stevs. How you doing today? I'm excited to talk about this. I mean, obviously, I run the Stevs check, so I am very front and center on most of the moves that have been happening across the MLB. So I, I have a good I have a good understanding of what's been happening, and there's a lot of these moves I'm excited to talk about. I know before the episode, one of the first things that you asked me about was the Shintaro Fujinami signing to the Oakland Athletics. I want to know where you stand on this because it's really interesting. Like you had the big names in Kodai Senga and Masataka Yoshida get posted, but I didn't really hear anything about him being posted. I I mean, so I really didn't know a lot about him coming into the offseason. I really didn't know who he was. He wasn't talked about a lot. And and after and it was surprising that a a Japanese player normally when a Japanese player comes into the league they go to kind of a win now contending type of team and he decides to go to the Oakland Athletics so there had to have been something wrong like there there had to have been a reason why he went to the Oakland Athletics and wasn't really talked about a lot going into the offseason right and Brad and I were talking about it and he's kind of a low floor high ceiling type of player overall like when you when you look at him He's very raw, has a lot of potential, but needs to work out those kinks. And apparently he thinks Oakland's the place for that to to work out. Yeah, especially like if you're looking to just get into the show and find a team that's going to work on you, a team that's rebuilding is the perfect place to do that. And I don't think a team that's going to be contending is going to go outright and look for someone whose like biggest issue is having, quote, sporadic control. Um, he was in the same draft class as Shohei Otani. And he was heralded on, on the same platform at the time. Um, but that sporadic control, it's hindered his career progress. So if you get to a major league team who can help you with this control issue, you can kind of tailor that to fit the major league level. A team like the Athletics can also trade him at the trade deadline to a contender. So it fits all parties where he gets to go to a postseason competing roster and the Athletics get prospects in return for only $3.5 million. Yeah, it's definitely a pretty cheap deal, and I think it's it's a it's not really a it's a risky move, but there's not really a lot that you're throwing on the line. You're throwing three point two five million on the line, and the chance of getting prospects or just having him fizzle out and going out in the free agency for really nothing. Yeah. And so just like a little profile on him. So he's six foot six right hander, and as we know, like taller relief or taller pitchers normally work a little bit more on the vertical plane. Uh, he has grown a ton in velocity over the past couple of seasons, uh, sitting in the upper 90s, touching 100 a couple of times last season. Um, he's got a low 90 split finger fastball, which is said to be his best strikeout pitch. Um, I'm interested to see that because we've seen, again, I'm going to compare him to Shohei Otani because that's who is in his draft class. We've seen that how disgusting that splitter's been. So I'm interested to see how the athletics are going to turn that around. He's said to have a sharp slider, which is kind of, it's here and there. So I'm really interested to see if he can tap into that in the major league level and become effective for Oakland because he does have a chance to shine there. Um, one thing that you worry about is that he was a star his first couple of seasons in Japan, but over the past three, four seasons, he spent time in both their minor leagues and major leagues. So on baseball reference, they have a combined version of his stats from 2022. But if you just pull his major league Japan, it's the Japan Central League. 
Uh, he threw 66 and a two and two thirds innings in 2022, and it was 10 starts and six relief appearances. So it makes me think that one of those was before he went down, and one of those was after he came back up, uh, to the tune of a three eight a three three eight ERA. But he did have his career best strikeouts per walk, which the strikeout numbers were down, but so were the walk numbers. So maybe that's something we see in the major leagues. Yeah, I think he's definitely a name you're going to want to keep an eye on throughout the season. We'll track his progress and see how he's doing. And if he can make that that real jump from this kind of, if feel like a B-list type of star, and if he can make it up into that A-list type of player. Yeah, and he's obviously going to have the market for it too. Because like we always, I feel like whether we admit it or not, as soon as someone comes overseas from Japan, we're always watching their first couple outings starts. Like Kodai Senga. When he has his first couple starts, I'm going to have that on my TV. Um, yeah. like I'm going to be interested to see what he does. I think they said that they're going to put him into the starting rotation, which would make sense because it's not a real, yeah. there's not much depth there. But I mean, there's no depth anywhere on the A's. Yeah. But, um, but I, there is, again, there's a spot for him to succeed and open the potential team that could capitalize on that. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And I think so. I think it's a win win for both players. And that's really what you want to look at for for going out and signing this type of player. Yeah. So obviously, we got to address the elephant in the room. Carlos Correa actually signed to a team. Yes, he passed the physical. Don't get worried about it. Jeff Passon reported already. Carlos Correa is a twin. There was a press conference. He said he's going to raise his little boy to be a very nice Minnesotan child. Carlos Correa is a twin. Six years, $200 million. Stevs, what do you think on this? I'm just happy it's over, in all honesty. I couldn't keep reporting on Stevs' checks about just, just Carlos Correa signs with the Giants. Oh, no. He has, didn't pass his physical. They're going to kind of like rework this contract. Oh, wait, no. Now he's a Met. Oh, now the Mets are worried about his physical. Where is he going to go? Oh, no, Minnesota picks him up. Okay, okay, Minnesota has him. My favorite part about the press conference, though, was he was like, yeah, I'm just, I'm really excited to be back here. Not like he just signed two other places and was pretty much forced to go back to Minnesota. I, I think I think what it was is uh, his one seed, I think, the whole time was the Mets. Yes. I think the Twins might have been the two seed. It's just the Giants gave him the biggest deal. And he was on the record saying, I don't really care where it is. I just want the money. Yeah. I go to restaurants and I watch TV with my family and I can do that in all 30 cities. That's uh, yep, that's a fair assessment. And he's he's already been with the Twins organization, so he knows what to expect from them. Yeah. So I think that obviously makes sense there. When when it came out that he officially signed like the past physical press conference, quote, we were unable to reach an agreement. We wish Carlos the best salty met pr person i found that hilarious like That's you could great. taste the salt like you you could rub your fingers across the the press or the press release and be like damn that's got a salty little, little consistency to it right there yeah it's just i mean mets fans are notoriously some of the saltiest fans like out there if anything wrong happens for their organization so the fact that they signed a player of carlos correa's caliber and we're all excited for him to be a Met, um, and then he goes to Minnesota. It's just hilarious. I think somebody needs to tell the Minnesota Twins like, uh, like their their shop page because they were still selling his jerseys and stuff on sale 
like all of his stuff was still on sale like to from like yesterday mm-hmm. like i honestly contemplated picking up a carlos correa jersey strictly due to the fact that it would have been like 50 percent off um and i could wear it for the next six years and be completely fine uh but overall i think i think it's it's good the winners for this for this signing are carlos correa the minnesota twins and brett Beatty. Because Brett Brady now has a spot in the Minnesota, or not Minnesota, in the New York Mets roster. Yeah. And that is the biggest, I honestly, he's the biggest winner of all of this. Yeah, I think, yeah, I agree. Also, Carlos Correa looked really good in the in the Twin City. You know, I really like those jerseys. Like I when like the, those, those jerseys. came out, it looked nice. And yeah. then, like, when he put it on, I was like, okay, I like, I couldn't yeah. see this on a player yet, but it fits Correa really well. It does. Um, and it's, it's, Minnesota got their shortstop. Like yes. there is going to be Kyle Farmer, so I think there's a little bit of an upgrade there. Um, but and then again, this is the Aaron Judge situation. Like this is great; they got him back, but it's the same thing you're putting on the field as you did last year. Yeah. Um, with contract details, though, we say it's six years, two hundred million. It can get up to ten years, two hundred seventy million. Because the whole issue here was that there is a plate put into Carlos Correa's right tibula to repair a fracture or almost full break in 2014 when he slid into a base. And obviously it hasn't shown up on the major league level yet, but they're worried that as he goes on, it's pretty much guaranteed that he is going to get arthritis. Um, they can do like minor surgeries to fix it, to tamper with it, to try and prevent that from happening. But it's almost guaranteed that at some point there is going to be an issue there. So that's kind of why he fizzled out with the Giants. He fizzled out with the Mets. And so with the Twins, he's got these vesting options. Yeah. So the way this works is A, there's no full trade clause, which means... Correa is a twin until he waves that. Okay. 2029, it's a vesting option of $25 million. So if he hits 575 plate appearances in 2028, which is like 140 games of plate appearances, then he gets the $25 million player option. Okay. If he gets top five and MVP, he gets the player option or silver slugger, LCS MVP or World Series MVP. So that's the 2029. This is the seventh year, which is where everyone's like, okay, this is when it's going to start to go bad. Um, there's a couple other variances of this from 2020 or 2030 to 2022 or 2032, excuse me, where he'd make 20 million, 15 million, and 10 million. But he has to reach a certain threshold to get the player option. And if not, it becomes a club option. So I guess the reassurances are built in, but like, Say he has a really good 2029, right? Or 2028, gets the 29 vesting option, is hurt in 29, the twins release him, and he has a good 2030. I feel like that's like, I don't know. I feel like it's good for the twins and bad for the twins at the same time. I think it's a lot. There's a, it's, I mean, again, we have like more than half a decade to worry about this, right? But I think there's, there's built in things for them to obviously there's going to be more into it than just his performance on the field they're going to monitor how like the how their organization is as a whole if they're winning championships if they're doing well at all there's a lot more that goes into it than just how Carlos Correa will play I mean obviously he is the main factor but say he doesn't and he they don't want to pick him up because they're doing terribly maybe he can go out and he can play well somewhere else right so for the next six years, at least, Carlos Correa is a twin. And finally, we do not have to talk about him for 
hopefully a couple months. Yeah, until we until we get to that twin projection. I'm I'm excited to talk about the twins because I'm just looking at their roster resource right now, and it's not a bad lineup. It's really not. Like they added Christian Vasquez and Joey Gallo. Obviously, those aren't needle movers, but yeah. you can't you can't win a World Series or you can't win a division with a team full of Joey Gallo and Christian Vasquez's. But you need those two pieces. Yes. And they're obviously hoping that there's a Joey Gallo rebound, which you know what? Maybe low pressure, nice people, Minnesota. There's room for potential for Joey Gallo. And then you got Luisa Rise hitting leadoff, Carlos Correa hitting second. This is Fangraph's roster resource projection. Yeah, I'm looking at it. Byron Buxton hitting third, Polanco fourth, Max Kepler fifth. I think that one's going to the Kepler Gallo combo has a lot of uh, volatility there. Yeah. Uh, Jose Miranda would be hitting sixth again. Gallo seventh, Christian Vasquez eighth, and Nick Gordon hitting ninth. Um, I think it's a good move. And then it you've is. got this moves Kyle Farmer to the bench. Uh, he would have been their shortstop. They got him from the Reds. And remember, at some point, Royce, Royce Lewis will be back. So maybe he can really slot into the DH slot, or he can get Correa off of his feet for some days. I I, I definitely agree this team has more. I, this team on paper looks very good, but out on the field is a whole other story because Byron Buxton probably will not be healthy. We really don't know what Jorge Polanco, Max Kepler are going to bring to the table. Luis Arias, all-star last year, very good player. Carlos Correa, very good player. Joey Gallo can be a very good player if he makes contact with the baseball. Christian Vasquez, World Series champion now, very good player. And Kyle Farmer off the bench is very good. He just is not very good as a starter. Their pitching is good, but nothing to write home about. They have Sonny Gray, Joe Ryan, Tyler Maley, uh, Kenta Maeda, and Bailey Ober, is that how you say that? Yeah, but they got um, Paddock as well. And then, yeah, and then him. And then out, off in the bullpen, they really – they have Emilio Pagan, Joanne Duran, Trevor Migo. They, they, like, those are really the names that I'm catching when I'm skimming through this. Like, there's, there's not a lot of pitching, but, again, players can surprise you. And it's a, it's a relatively young bullpen. Yeah, and so when I was just I was looking through just to see their uh their depth as well. I on Baseball Reference, Sonny Gray's nickname is listed as Pickles, um, <laughs> and I kind of want to like get to the bottom of like why his nickname is Pickles. And so in August of 2017, MLB.com posted this article um about how the Yankees right hander got the nickname from a few Oakland teammates because he was a Yankee at the time. Yeah. Um, and so. He was he always almost lined up his starts with the green alternate jerseys in Oakland. He said that when we came up with these nicknames, I was in Oakland. That's just what a few guys called me. Uh, I kind of just put it there. I don't know when we did this. Everyone's just throwing stuff out there. I didn't have a good answer, man. I don't know. Um, Josh Fagley, who put his name as player to be named later in Players Weekend, says it's because he likes pickles. Uh, which Sonny Gray did not back up. He said that, you know, I, I'm a big fan of pickles, but it's not it's not a favorite food of mine. Um, Sonny Gray, pickles. <laughs> he's, he's a big fan of pickles, man. That's I mean, that's just a great story. I mean, I need I need players weekend jerseys to come back. Like I need nicknames on the back of the jerseys. I need nicknames on the back of jerseys on every sport because those are some of the fun like 
like Shane Bieber, not Justin. Like that was that was fire. And like like Anthony Rendon, 22 back. Like it's just something that adds to the sport and it makes more money. Like, right? Like I'll go out and I'll buy a not Justin jersey. I don't even like the Guardians. And I don't really I mean, Shane Bieber's fine. He's not my favorite pitcher, but I'd get a not Justin jersey, right? Like, like those are the things that I want, I want back in full swing. Yeah, I think that yeah, it's so good for baseball. Like it there's is. the whole the Kyle Seeger, Corey's brother thing. <laughs> and Rich Hill was Dick Mountain. Like we always call him that, but he was a he was finally D Mountain. I was so happy when that happened. I they have to bring that. That's something and our list of things they need to incorporate in 2023. Players weekend jerseys. Please bring them back. That might not be a bad, bad episode in and of itself. Things we want for the 2023 season from like it can stem from that to to rule changes to like a a, a spotlight game on on the sandlot or something crazy like that we could 100 percent do that i want pickles to be healthy um, <laughs> that, that hasn't happened fully since 2019 but another person who's not going to be healthy is trevor story of the boston red sox um he underwent uh, basically an accelerated version of Tommy John surgery. Uh, it's called an internal brace procedure. It's meant to repair the UCL. Uh, it normally keeps players out four to five months, but the Red Sox say he's questionable for the season. Um, this is bad. Very. Like, does this, Steph, all right, I'm going to ask you this. Does this happening eliminate the Boston Red Sox? From playoff contention? Yes. So on paper this team doesn't look terrible it doesn't look crazy by any stretch of the imagination like you have you you just signed Masataka Yoshida you extended Rafael Devers you have Kike Hernandez signed Justin Turner you have a young youngish star in Alex Verdugo is he a young star still like where where do we stand on Verdugo I think he, it's kind of got to be the point where he's got to be a dude he's got to be that guy okay I I mean he's I agree 27 I agree with that. He he it's been too long. He needs to be that guy. And I don't think he is personally. Um, and then Tristan Casas, uh, Christian Arroyo, Reese McGuire, and Jaron Duran. Uh that team, the bot under Alex Verdugo, not really eye popping. Um, off their bench, they have Connor Wong, Bobby Dahlback, Emmanuel Valdez, and Rob Ref Snyder. So again. Nothing from the batting side, nothing is really wowing me from this team. And obviously, if you stick, uh, if you stick Trevor Story in that roster, I think they're a much better team. I mean, obviously, they're a much better team. So I would say, from strictly from a batting side, I'm not talking about their pitching right now. Yes, they are. I would eliminate them from playoff contention. Now, if you include their, their pitching side, Chris Sale supposed to be their ace probably will not come back it's probably not healthy mm-hmm. Corey kluber older guy probably i mean he had a really good season last year but he probably will not be anything crazy and then nick pavetta james paxton and garrett whitlock again nothing really crazy right and then you go into the pen just signed kenley jansen that was a great move but outside of him nothing really crazy Chris Martin. So, Chris, yeah, again, Chris Martin, Matt Barnes is okay. Yeah. But again, so again, nothing, nothing that's going to come off the page and be like, yeah, 
this team will be fine without Trevor Story. Is there any out of all the names I just listed? I listed the entire on Fangraphs the entire roster for the for the Boston Red Sox. Is it is any of that eye popping to you? Like without Trevor Story, I think there's an issue there as well. Is that with Story out, Kike Hernandez now has to play shortstop. He was playing Gold Glove center field last year. You remember the inside the Parker when the Blue Jays were blowing out the Red Sox? Uh, yeah. What was his name? Rymel Tapia hit like a floating fly ball. Jaron Duran just lost it somewhere at Fenway. It yep. got over his head. He just stood there. Yeah, like, because you're center fielder now. Like I, I this this team, I didn't I didn't like this team's chances in general coming into this season, and they lost their number one. Their not number one. They lost a top five player on their roster. Like it, it's, it's devastating to the Red Sox, and it just makes because I probably already had them going fifth in the division, and this just makes it worse. Yeah, I think like there was an argument that they could have popped out. There was a recipe for success. Yeah, like Yoshida could come up and be really good. Kike Hernandez is reliable. He is not going to yep. steal the show. But again, you can't win a World Series without Kike Hernandez on your team. Rafi Devers just signed a big contract, and he deserves it. He's very, very good. Justin Turner, I don't know how healthy he's going to be, but he is a reliable bat. Yeah. Verdugo, it's time It's time to show up, man. And then once you get past that, you're, you're playing depth pieces. Like, obviously, Casas yes. and Duran are prospects, but you're playing depth pieces. 100 and, I, I 100% agree. Yeah, I think... I think they're in a rough spot as it is. I think that the Red Sox need to improve somehow, but the time the time to do that is very, very minimal. And you talk about the pitching. I don't want to get into the pitching much right now, but it's it's old and it's rough. Yes. I I I when we get into our, our lineups, I'll go more in depth about how disappointing I think this Red Sox roster will be. But yeah, Boston is not looking good for you. Not there all. is an option for someone for them to pick up, though. I don't know if it's the best idea, and I wouldn't do it. But Trevor Bauer is officially a free agent. He cleared waivers from the Dodgers. The only situation in which a team would have traded him, traded for him from the Dodgers was because they wanted to negotiate in an open market or in a closed market. Because in that week period where he was DFA'd, if they wanted Bauer to themselves, they could have offered a monetary value to the Dodgers. They could have been like, hey, Dodgers, we'll give you $2 million for Trevor Bauer, which means the Dodgers are only on the hook for $20 million, and the other team's paying $2 million and gets Trevor Bauer. Now he's a free agent, open market. He can be signed by anyone, and it's without consequence to the Dodgers. He'll most likely go for league minimum. Is anyone going for him? I don't I mean again like there are there are teams that are going to go out and take that that risk on him. Trevor Bauer will play baseball this season. It's just a matter of of who and this Reds again you talk about the Red Sox maybe doing it. This Red Sox team should not do it. They're already in deep water and adding a I don't want to say cancer but a cancer in Trevor Bauer probably is not helpful. Yeah, I think you have to look at the two sides of the coin, right? Because Trevor Bauer is a phenomenal pitcher. 
He is. He's a like, very good pitcher, just not a good presence. Exactly. If here's an alternative to that, then if you're competing at the trade deadline, right? Do you sign Trevor Bauer? If he's still out there. If you're the Red Sox? Yes. If you're the Red Sox, yes. But as in my mind, what I think this Red Sox team is capable of, adding Trevor Bauer will help it. It just won't solve it. And I think adding a cancer like Trevor Bauer into your organization is is only going to make it worse. I can 100% see that. I think there whether you believe he did it or not like i i support the side that he got the long largest suspension in mlb history if you're on the other side that there's no criminal charges against him i understand that as well yeah but you have to understand that the character he brings to a major league clubhouse is an issue in itself and i think a lot of teams are recognizing that 100% and there's there's ways that you could work around it and there will be trial by fire and you're going to have to you're going to have to address a lot of things if you bring Trevor Bauer on board. I think the Dodgers did the right move and I'm glad he is gone. Yes. A guy the Dodgers brought in was Miggy Rowe. Miggy Rojas from the Marlins. I love him. He started his career as a Dodger. He made a great play in Clayton Kershaw's no-hitter. Like he made the play. Like every no-hitter, every perfect game has the play. Miggy Rowe made the play. Uh, and then, you know, Hanley Ramirez decided to make an error in the ninth inning, which cost Kershaw a perfect game. But that's besides the point. The Dodgers acquire uh, middle infielder Miguel Rojas for shortstop Jacob Amaya. I like this move. I'm I'm pleased. I think the Dodgers have made some questionable moves that I understand this postseason. I understand wanting to go under the salary cap. Um, I'm happy about this. I like Miggy Rowe. I think he's going to play everyday shortstop. He's a bat and ball type bat, which is going to be really good at the bottom of the lineup. He doesn't really hit the ball that hard, and he struggles with fastballs. But you know what? Dodgers are known for improving batters and their ability to hit fastballs. But he's a veteran. This might just be who he is, and that's fine. He's one of the best gloves in the league, and he's a fantastic, fantastic clubhouse presence. 100%. I agree. The Marlins have made, what, this is their fourth move? And we'll talk, right. about, we'll talk about their third move in a second. But we wanted more from the Marlins, and they've went out and they signed one bat. They had another pretty inconsequential trade. This trade to them is pretty inconsequential, and then they signed a pitcher who we'll talk about shortly. But they really didn't address any of their needs at like this point in time this offseason, and I'm 100% disappointed in the Marlins offseason. Um, the Dodgers, I think, come out on top in this scenario. Like they get a guy in Miguel Rojas. Yeah, he kind of had a down season, a down couple of seasons, but he is he is very, very good. And so let's round back to the Marlins again, like I'm talking about. So they got a guy in Jacob Amaya. They taught they he clearly seems somewhat expendable to the Dodgers. Um he will most likely to the Marlins why I say I think they lose this trade serve as kind of a bench bat who Miguel Rojas was kind of already he was serving as kind of your everyday shortstop and now you're trading him for a bench bat he had a 14 percent walk rate in 2022 in the minors uh and a 91 WRC plus in the 2023 like that's his projections um he'll fit well with the Marlins but I think I I just I just don't 
I don't like the Marlins offseason, and this is just another nail in the coffin for me. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I think the veteran presence of Miguel Rojas can't be understated. Uh, yes. He was a leader in this clubhouse, and you traded Miguel Rojas old for Miguel Rojas young. Yes. Um, I don't know how good of a glove Jacob Amaya is. Uh, I'm not that familiar with him as a Dodger fan, which is on me. But again, that kind of proves the point that he was kind of expendable. Um, I think that the Marlins made this move in hopes of just getting someone young that's a bat. The, sure, you know what? He could come up and he could get on base a lot. And that might have value to a team like the Marlins. But the value that Miguel Rojas will bring the Dodgers will outweigh Jacob Amaya's value to the Marlins this season in any way possible. Because remember, Rojas is only signed for this year. He wasn't going to get an everyday playing opportunity in Miami, especially with the addition of Gene Segura. Yep. Now, Rojas and his walk year will have an opportunity to be an everyday player. That doesn't inherently mean that. He could still split time with Gavin Lux, or Gavin Lux just moved to second base. And we're looking at Rojas and Lux up the middle, which I'm fine with. I think having good defense up the middle could be really beneficial to uh, some young pitchers on the mound for the Dodgers. I don't know, again, where Amaya is going to be when you have Joey Wendell at third, Gene Segura at short, and Jazz Chisholm at second. Are they going to send him to the minors, or are you just going to put him on the bench and not really let him develop? So I will say this, right? If you do just kind of have him up in kind of like a platoon type of role, that might be beneficial to him to learn from a guy like Gene Segura. Like that might be pretty helpful. But just overall to his career, again, you could have him play in the minors for a little while and then see how he plays there then pull him up stuff like that there's a lot you can do with him i just at this point in time i dislike the move i mean apparently they saw something in him and enough to go out and try and trade miguel rojas for him who again like brad said was a very good clubhouse presence and now your clubhouse presence is primarily uh jazz chisholm who i would say is not the best clubhouse presence to have yeah, you still have Gene Segura, though, like That's veteran, fair. but been around the league. It's just he hasn't been established in the Miami Marlin clubhouse. Yes. Um, and so as you kept mentioning earlier, this other move the Marlins made. Yes. You want, you want me to go? Yeah, you got it, man. I got it. I'm excited for this move. I mean, I mean, the Marlins didn't need to do this, but like he just he just fit. Johnny Cueto is a Miami Marlin. Like he just fits in the Miami Marlins clubhouse. I, th- I think he'll fit well. Personally, I wanted him to go to San Diego because I felt like he could have helped kind of... He, Brad looks very angry at me. I feel like he could have helped kind of med that clubhouse animosity. But Johnny Cueto, Miami Marlin, one-year, $6 million contract with a 2024 uh, $10.5 uh, $10. million club option, or he has a $2.5 million buyout which guarantees him $8.5 million through the length of this two-year contract, pretty much. Yeah, I kind of like the move, honestly, because you keep hearing about how the Marlins are going to trade some of their pitching depth. Um, a, this opens two avenues. The Marlins fail, which is what they're going to do, and aren't competing at the time of the trade deadline, and Johnny Cueto gets moved. And I could 100% see that. I could see a team that's kind of on the verge of a playoff spot going out and being like, hey, you know, we'll give you B-level prospect for Johnny Cueto. And, or they trade away one of their prospects or one of their young pitchers or Pablo Lopez, right? 
And Johnny Cueto gets into the rotation and secures them where they're not kind of looking for minor league to major league innings and rushing prospects through the system. This has more benefits than I think, or I thought initially, because I saw this and I was like, Marlins, we told you to get a bat and you signed a pitcher. But you know what? This isn't the worst move they could have made. I, I mean, I definitely agree. And I, I like, I mean, obviously I'm a huge Johnny Cueto fan. I've loved him throughout his entire career. So, so him going to a team like Miami, I think it's, I think it's a good spot for him. I just think the Marlins could have done better. And I think Johnny Cueto could have gone somewhere better. When you look at it like that, it's, it's very beneficial to the Miami Marlins if they decide to go out and trade him. Yeah. And I think there's a, definitely a possibility. Obviously, I don't know the details of this, but he could have been getting lower offers from better teams. Exactly. And he could have gone here and guaranteed himself $8.5 million over the two years. and Or it could just be $8.5 million over this year. Yeah. And get himself onto a contending roster. Because there's a very unlikely possibility, but there's somewhat of a possibility in this universe that the Marlins are somehow competing for a wild card spot. But there's there is a very 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 low chance, but there is a possibility. Yes. But there's a higher possibility that a team at the trade deadline is like, "Hey, we need pitching depth. We need to get our guys, you know, like our aces, our ones, our twos, our threes, to get a little bit more rest, and we could just use some rotational depth coming into the playoffs." What do you want for Johnny Cueto? And yes, the Marlins exactly. like, you know what? We'll take an outfield bat because we need anything we can get at this point, and. There, there you get it. You get value because you get a pitcher that's going to let your prospects mature in the minor leagues, and you get a prospect who may be something in the major league level. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think when you look at it through that lens, it's it's a really good move by the Marlins, and it's a really smart move by Johnny Cueto. Yeah, and then there's another move. I know, Stevs, you were a bit more fond of this than I was. Or you were a lot less fond, excuse me. Yes. Um. Brandon Belt went to the Toronto Blue Jays for one year, nine point three million. I don't know how he managed to get nine point three million. Like, I think we can agree on that fact. I don't know how he, he got nine. I don't know how he got nine point three million. Aubrey Huff tweeted. Obviously, take anything Aubrey Huff says with a grain of salt. Yes. Aubrey Huff tweeted: Anyone have a daughter that could play first base and hit two thirteen of the season with eight home runs, twenty four RBIs, and a point three WAR? She could be making nine point three million with the Toronto Blue Jays. I mean, it's fair. I mean, it's funny too. <laughs> like, why weren't you a fan of it? So I wasn't a fan of it from the perspective of. So I pretend I'm Tom for a second. The Giants have gone off the rails. They have they let Carlos Rodon walk, which, from Tom's perspective, they were never going after him. I'm sure there were some sort of discussions there. They missed out on Aaron Judge, the big fish in the water and they missed out on Carlos Correa. Obviously, there was more injury risk behind that. But they do go out and they sign these little guys, which isn't going to satisfy the whole fan base, right? But it's going to satisfy those guys like Tom that are more, like, locked in on, you know what, we did go out and we signed guys like Mitch Hanniger and Sean Manaya and, 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 and those types of guys. And then you have this guy, Brandon Belt who's your quote-unquote, your self-appointed captain of the team. Put the little C on his chest and wore the captain's hat. He He's your self-appointed captain. And for $9.3 million, you 
could have signed him, but instead you got and signed a guy like Luke Jackson for like 11.6 million, who again, he's coming off Tommy John. He's a pretty good pitcher, but you could have gone and got a guy like Brandon Belt, who's your, again, I'm going to reiterate, self-appointed captain for less. Yes, I understand the injury risk. Yes, I understand he's old, but it's one year and you could have satisfied your fan base a little more. That's that's my gripe with it, which again, I understand it's a business. You got to let your franchise players walk sometimes, but when you've had such a terrible offseason, I think you need some sort of mending to the fan base. I agree with the aspect of mending to the fan base. Like I think there there's a complete argument for that there. I think that there's two arguments to be placed that this wasn't the best move for the Giants. I think the two arguments that exist are that you could just open up first base and get younger players or players with more potential, the opportunity to play there. You could get JD Davis getting there every day. And I've heard that name year in, year out. He's got potential. He's always had potential to be someone and you could get him here more and more. You get him a starting opportunity at first base. You could maybe see that he could be something and he's only going to cost about 3.6 million next year. And you also go to the Toronto Blue Jays, who are lacking left-handed depth. And they finally signed, or they got Dalton Varsho in the trade, and they signed Brandon Belt. You have left-handed depth now, and you have someone who could take Flatty Guerrero off of his feet in the field some days and play a little bit of first base, but also serve as a DH in days where he can when you have a right-handed opposing pitcher remember brandon belt's not going to be an everyday player on the toronto blue jays but if you can get him to be an ounce of what he was in 2021 keep him healthy and keep him as a platoon bat i could see this being a very very good contract for the toronto blue jays from the toronto blue jays perspective like the signing is a good signing you again still you have that injury risk but 9.3 is not that much in the grand scheme of things so I think it was a good move by the Blue Jays. Again, you get depth, and that's really what the Blue Jays need at this point in time. They need depth. They have the stars they need. They need more backup pieces. Yeah, and like again, one of the concerns, no lefties. What did they add? Lefties. They went out and they addressed their, they addressed their needs. I think the only thing that they could really go after now is another starting pitcher. Um, and it'd be a good season or a good offseason for the Toronto Blue Jays. Like you dealt Teoscar Hernandez, which was a questionable move. But you know what? You've retaliated by getting Dalton Varsho. You've retaliated by adding Brandon Be- by adding Brandon Belt. You have left-handed bats now that are going into going going to impact in a positive manner the 2023 Toronto Blue Jays. Um, Stevs, you just you prompted the question, we'll be grading off seasons. And I think we, we'll do that inherently as we do our predictions for 2023. Um, but I, I'm a little bit higher on the Blue Jays offseason than some people maybe. I, I definitely, I like, I like their, like, obviously it feels like when you're looking at it, it feels like they've subtracted more than they've added, but they subtracted pieces they didn't need and added pieces they did need. Right. So from, if you look at it like that, it's a great offseason. Like, yeah, you lose a guy like, uh, Lourdes Gurriel or Teoscar Hernandez, but then you get pieces back that will help you more in the long run yeah and like another another team that has had a questionable offseason from some people is the seattle mariners right yes but you have to look at a team like the mariners kind of like you look at a team like the blue jays the blue jays had more holes than the mariners 
And the Mariners were a better well-rounded team. You look at you look at the Mariners, and there's two war players at every position. It's difficult to upgrade that. What did they do? They went out and signed AJ Pollock for one year, seven million. I think this is a fine signing for the Mariners, in my opinion. I I think this is almost worse for AJ Pollock than it is the Mariners because he he left a thirteen million dollar contract with the White Sox, and he got five million in his opt out. It's a buyout, and he got a one year seven million from the Mariners. He can earn up to ten million in incentives, but is he going to? Maybe, but it makes it just seem like he really wanted to get out of Chicago. Well, the White Sox again. We talked about it in our recaps. White Sox were terrible last season. Like just the the clubhouse presence was terrible. The team felt dreary every single day. Like here where I live, it, it, it there was a tornado warning this morning. It's been raining all day, and I would rather go stand out in that weather than watch a White Sox game. Like that's how bad the White Sox organization was. So that is not a surprise by any stretch of the imagination. And you go to this young, budding Seattle Mariners team that looked like it just had so much fun, at least in the playoffs, because, again, I didn't really watch a lot of Seattle games during the regular season because I live on the East Coast. But it, they just looked like they had so much fun. And, and you go from this dreary tornado hurricane of Chicago and go to Seattle where it's sunshines and daisies, of course, that's the place you have to go. Yeah, and there's going to be opportunity for AJ Pollock to play. Something I found a little bit almost disturbing uh, was the fact that the White Sox let AJ Pollock never have a DH day in his age 34 season. Like, that's how you get people injured. The guy played 138 games on his feet at age 34, which shows that, A, he's able to play outfield. He's not the best outfielder by any means, but there's still like it's showing that he will play every day if he needs to, but I don't think he's going to, I think he's going to platoon with Jared Kelnick. Uh, he can obviously go play at DH if he, if he's needed because he, he struggles a bit against right-handed pitching, but he loves, he loves himself in left-handed pitching. And you know what I didn't realize? He's got a career 801 OPS. Like, I guess that's almost like the, the line of validity when it comes to OPS. Like, it's hard to say what it would be for for hitting or for yes for hitting for batting average, but like an eight hundred OPS kind of like solidifies. Yeah, solid player. And AJ Pollock's done that. Yeah, I, I, I the epitome of AJ Pollock is he's a solid player, yeah. and I think that's what you need Jared Kelnick to be this next upcoming season. He needs to be a solid player. So if you have kind of an A.J. Pollock who is a solid player mentoring Jared Kelnick, maybe it'll rub off on him. Maybe he'll be a solid player. And here's the thing. If Kelnick's bad again, you know what? A.J. Pollock's your starting left fielder, and Jared Kelnick plays in his off days. Yep. And that's a very good situation that the Mariners have put themselves in. 100%. Do you know this is the most money in AAV that Jerry DePoto has ever signed in free agency? That's and that's interesting. Because like everything's been extensions. Yeah. Is that true? No, that can't be true. Because didn't they get Robbie Ray? Did they they signed Robbie yeah, Ray? Yeah, they did. They yeah. signed Robbie Ray. I, I heard that somewhere and I I I guess I believed it and now I don't because <laughs> Robbie Ray exists. Um yeah. And, yeah. But again, Mariners, good job. You added depth. And honestly, the moves that we have left to talk about today are depth moves. Yes. Like, 
the Padres went out and added Nelson Cruz for one year, one million. Which at this point, I just think Nelson Cruz is following Juan Soto wherever he's going. I'm gonna be hundred percent. Like he went to the there was no reason he should have come to Washington last year, and he decided he wanted to be a Washington National to mentor Juan Soto, and now he's going out to San Diego. Coincidentally after Juan Soto was traded there. Like, he's just following Juan. Like, he just wants a ring, I think. I think that's what – I think he's just ring chasing with Juan. I mean, do you blame him? I mean, I don't, but it's just funny that he's just chasing Juan Soto everywhere, it feels like. Yeah. So, he's probably going to platoon with Matt Carpenter as everyday DH, which is fine. Yeah. Um, gives the lineup a little bit more depth past uh, one through five versus left-handed pitching because, obviously, that one through four, once Tatis is back, is ridiculous. You got Machado, you got Tatis, you got Soto, you got Bogarts, and Jake Cronenworth, and it kind of falls off past there. Um, it gives – it just, again, it keeps the lineup going a little bit more, which I hate to say it, but it makes the Padres lineup a little bit better. Yeah. Again, it's a depth move. And then there's a trade. Like there's actually a baseball trade and I was surprised about this. I said, quote, a trade starts wiggling. Um, Nick Maton, Matt Veerling, and Donnie Sands were traded to the Tigers in exchange for Gregory Soto and Cody Clemens. Um, yeah. I mean, what do you think about this, man? I don't, I mean, so we have Philly fans that are, we're friends with, right? They were ecstatic for this move, but they're going to miss Nick, Nick Maton, Matt Veerling, and they didn't really know much about Donnie Sands when we talked to them about it. But they're going to miss those two players because those are two names that they've kind of been watching as their team that needs to develop. But now they're going out and they're getting a guy in, in Gregory Soto who is very good. Like he, I don't know what the Tigers are doing because they were supposed to be taking that next step and they just it felt like they just went 10 steps backwards like i don't i don't like you go out last offseason you sign javi baez then this offseason you're trading your star relief pitcher your closing pitcher for three guys that can play in in the field like it it just doesn't make sense to me um if you scroll down a little bit you'll get to see who donnie sands is um and then (laughs) uh and then I think this is the Tigers declaring that they're not going to compete in 2023 because they're like, hey, we are not at the point where we need a closer. And there is some there's some questions about the reliability of Greg Soto, or Gregory Soto. I get that. But the Phillies took on Jose Alvarado and they've made him somewhat serviceable. And who's to say they won't do the exact same with Gregory Soto, right? Like in the 90th percentile for fastball velocity, he's not good at uh, getting some soft contact. He walks. Uh, let's see. He's in the bottom 2% of the league and walks, which is not what you want. But again, they made Jose Alvarado serviceable and there's yeah. no reason they can't do that here. I, I a hundred percent agree. I think there's, there's room for this. I mean, this Phillies team just, I, I just, I'm, there's two schools of thought for this Philly team. One they were adding so many pieces and so many moves have shifted them that they're going to propel to at least make the wild card and stay on track, or they're just going to have a hangover. Those are the two thoughts for this Philly t- Phillies team. And I really, I really hope it's the first one. I don't want them to have a hangover because the Phillies in the playoffs last year was absolutely electric. And I want to see that again. Yeah, I think that also with the Phillies is we've always had the question about the depth of their bullpen. 
and yes. they've added to the bullpen and they've secured they have stabilized the fact that they are going to be an okay bullpen. We no longer have the question of is this bullpen going to fall apart and cost them a playoff spot? I don't think it will. I don't think it's going to be the best bullpen in baseball, but there's going to be some reliability here. And I think that is something that the Phillies very much needed. I think that they also, you know, with Cody Clemens, they added someone that can just be a little bit of a utility player because they traded their whole bench. They traded Matt Vierling, they traded Nick Maton, and they traded Donnie Sands. I think that, again, it's a good move for both sides. It just declares that the Tigers are not going to be competing in 2023. Uh, I, I mean, yeah, I agree. Sorry, Aiden just texted us. Um, the This is per Nat's coverage. Uh, the learners are not remotely close to selling the team. If they were to sell the team, it would be minority shares. So Nat's fan, that is terrible. Yeah, that's not what you want to be hearing devastating but let's go on let's talk about more little kind of small moves um craig stammon signs a minor league deal with the padres sandy leone signs a minor league deal with the rangers brett phillips he goes to the angels um and adam ingle he goes to the padres we also have one final move arson judge still out there i i don't i i this guy is the premier name on the market and somehow he's still out there I know, right? Because like I don't I was, get it. I, I don't know. Maybe like some guy catches on fire during the season, and Arson Judge is like, you know what? I'll go join him. Um, I think this could be a really good move for a team that just needs a little bit of a spark. Yeah. Um, but again, like probably the best free agent names still out there. The the class is dwindling a little bit. Yeah. Um. But no, let's let's just go. I'm gonna round back to those moves. At which of these? Because you have four here. Which of these? Four small moves you like the best because I know which one I like the best. Um, honestly, none of them are real needle movers for me, but mm. I guess Brett Phillips is the best just personality. Brett, well, Brett Phillips is the best because it adds personality to the Angels and it adds it's it's a low risk move that I think has some upside to it, and especially if they can get into that playoff into the playoffs, having a guy like Brett Phillips is very very important to your team. Yeah, Brett Phillips is a, is good for baseball, and not that the Angels needed people more people that were good for base good for baseball, but you know what? If he can get if he can get Anaheim fans more excited somehow, um, then have at it. It gives them depth. It maybe you know what it gets trout off his feet some days. I don't know, but it is a move that could benefit them at all at, at some point. Exactly. All right. Thank you all for listening to the 4A Baseball Podcast. We'll be back next week with two more episodes. If you want to interact with us at all, be sure to follow us on Twitter or TikTok. We also be uploading shorts from this or from previous episodes to our YouTube page. All social media links will be in the description below. If you've enjoyed, please consider leaving a rating or a review. Or if you have any suggestions, be sure to share them with us. We'll see you all next time on the 4A Podcast. Peace.